Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Destiny Midweek, the podcast to answer your questions about the Bible. If you're wanting to take a deep dive, dig a little deeper on the Sunday sermon here at Destiny Church, this is where you want to be. My name is Mark Bell. I'm joined with my brother and lead pastor of Destiny Church, Matt Bell. Hello. This is the only midweek podcast at Destiny Church right now. Yes. The only one. It's the only one. So. But it is the podcast. Uh, so we're, we're kind of crunched for time today. We are. A little crunched. We are. We got lots going on. So we're going we're gonna to speed through this one here. We're going to cut the banter. The banter's gone. Don't got time for that. Nope. But we got one nugget and some questions. Got some nuggets. Multiple nuggets? No, just a nugget. Okay, we got one nugget and some questions. So uh, real quick. So Sunday. Okay. Go ahead. Sunday. So Sunday, uh, Matt talked about Peter, the life of Peter. Peter's. We looked at three key events in three Peter's life. Three key events. That would help us to understand who this man is. And yes. Identify and connect with him as we go through the book of Acts together. Right. So one of those big events was the breakfast yeah, the, on the beach. The, the beach fish sandwich breakfast. And uh, I believe that was you, the third. the third one. The first was when he made the promise to Jesus. Mm-hmm. The second was when he broke the promise. And then the third was when Jesus made a promise to Peter. Right. Yeah. So I brought that one up because that's where the nugget is. So I, yeah, I didn't know we nugget. were going to do a full review well here it's more of a survey okay the nugget so this could be like a fish nugget this yeah, is around the beach and, it could be okay it might be fishy the nugget that i did not have time to go into on sunday was that when jesus is asking peter do you love me and peter is responding Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is in John chapter 21. That Jesus and Peter are using two different words for love. Really? Really. Did you know that before I told you that two minutes ago and we started recording? I've heard it before. Did I tell you that? Maybe. Okay, good. Someone has. Okay. I'm not a Greek scholar or expert by any means, mm-hmm. but I know how to load it up on the computer screen. Right. And I do know that there are four different Greek words for love. And the largest love or the, the highest one, the most um, one that represents who God is when it like says God is love, it's talking about Agape love, mm-hmm. and that is self-sacrificial love, the kind of love that, that God has and models and demonstrates. Unconditional. Unconditional. And so Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? Mm-hmm. And when you look at it in the Greek, and Peter replies, not with the word agape, that's translated as love, but he replies with the word phileo, Mm. which is the word for brotherly love. I see. Like the affection that 
to friends would have. Mm -hmm. Like your David and Jonathan. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe even just the way we use the word love. Like, man, I love those enchiladas or I love those tacos or I love that salsa or I love those tortillas. Or I love that filet fish. Or I love that, or I filet that filet fish. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of that secondary, much lower kind of love. So when you, when you look at it in the Greek, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar or, or expert by any means, but when you look at the words that they're using, they're actually using lesser forms higher forms Jesus is using than Peter replies with the lesser form. And it gives you a, a different picture of what is actually transpiring there. So the first time Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And he says, Lord, I, I, it's like he, he doesn't want to say that he has that kind of love for him because he remembers the, that he mm-hmm. had declared his in, in arrogance, how, huge his love was for jesus and even if everybody dies or even if everybody falls away from you i'm never going to fall away because i love you and even if i have to die i'm ready to die for you but then he didn't and so you really get a sense of peter's how he has been humbled and how he has been broken through his experience so the first time jesus says do you agape me peter says i phileo you Mm -hmm. second time jesus says do you agape me and Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. That second form of love. The third time, Jesus doesn't ask, do you agape me? He comes down to Peter's level and says, do you have that brotherly kind of love for, for me? And it says that Peter was grieved because Jesus, the third time, didn't say agape, but the third time he said phileo. And it, it just shows that there's, a little bit more happening there than maybe we would read upon a casual reading because those two words are translated as love and mm-hmm. rightfully so, but they're talking, Peter is talking about a different kind of love than the love that Jesus is talking about. Awesome. So that's my little nugget. Yeah. Little Bible factoid. It's great. For you. Just another thing, you know, you didn't quite have time to get no into that time. on Sunday. No but, time for that. But hey, that's what we're here for. Even when we don't have a lot of time on the podcast, we still got time for those tasty nuggets. So we got four questions. F- four questions today. Four? Yeah, four. Okay. It's great. Oof. Awesome. Thanks for sending these in. Yes, thank you so much. So the first one is from Lisa J. And she says, so Paul accepts Christ, preaches to the Gentiles for three years, then goes to Jerusalem to be part of the church. He notes in Galatians 1.18, which we recently covered in KBI. Shout out to KBI. That's right. Then he went up to see Peter. Acts 9.26 says they were all afraid of him. Given what Pastor Matt's sermon covered Sunday, Peter's denial of Jesus and then leadership towards saving 3,000, do you think Paul mentions Peter specifically in Galatians 1.18 because Peter was uniquely qualified to lead the other apostles' acceptance of a redeemed man? I, I don't think so. I, when, when you read through Galatians, what Paul is actually doing is he's saying to the Galatians that he did not receive his gospel from 
people that he actually received it directly from Jesus Christ himself. And so he brings up Peter twice here in Galatians. One where he says, I went and saw Peter, but Peter didn't add anything to the gospel that I have. And then he mentions Peter again in chapter two, where he talks about how Peter was actually doing something that was undermining the gospel by his shunning of Gentiles, by Peter shunning Gentiles when Jewish people showed up. And so Paul is is using Peter not in the positive sense, but in the negative sense, as far as helping the Galatians understand that this is not a gospel from men, but that this is the one true gospel from God himself. And as false teachers had come into the Galatian church, bringing the doctrine that you have to add to the work of Christ, Paul is saying, look, I didn't receive this doctrine from men. I received it straight from God. And these other men who have come in, they're the ones that are actually bringing and introducing false doctrine. And it's so subtle that sometimes even very well-meaning people can do things by their actions that undermine the power of the gospel. And then he cites that second example of Peter and him not being willing to eat with Gentiles because of it. And so Paul got in his face and, and corrected him and they got back on track together. So I don't think that that's why he brings him up in Galatians. Cool. Question two. Also from Lisa, it says, Peter cited Joel's prophecy in Acts 2, 16 through 21, and then David's words in Acts 2, 25 through 28. How did he know the words spoken some 700 years before? Were they passed down orally, or was that the work of the scribes? It was the work of the scribes. So when you read through the New Testament gospels, the four gospels, you often see three groups. You see the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees were like different denominations of the Jewish religion. And the scribes' job, these were experts in the law, but they would they were writing down copies of the Old Testament. And in every synagogue, they had copies of the Old Testament. So if you go to Luke, I think it's chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, let me open it quickly here. Luke chapter 4, Jesus visits the synagogue in, I think it's Nazareth. Yes, Jesus visits the synagogue in Nazareth. And verse 16, it says, as as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so in all of the synagogues, they had copies of the Old Testament scriptures, and it was the job of the scribes to copy them down perfectly. Interestingly, the version that they were using in Jesus' day was not in the Hebrew language. It was in the Greek language because that was the language of the region of that day. And so the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And that's what was used 
to translate the Old Testament into English was not actually the Hebrew original language, which had been lost, but it was actually the Greek translation, which was very much proliferated during the first century. And it was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that was used to translate the Old Testament in the King James Version. Now, in the 20th century, Mm -hmm. in Israel, they uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which had large portions of the Old Testament back in the Hebrew language. And so the majority of the newer translations of our Bibles, Mm -hmm. like the ESV and the NIV and the NASB, those now use the Hebrew documents that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 20th century. Fascinating. I don't know why I got into all that other than to say that yes, they definitely had copies of the scripture and knew it and memorized it and studied it. And again, we see in Acts chapter one that they're quoting scripture as well. So does the King James Version use the Septuagint? It, 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 the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was around during the first century. And that is what the King James translators used for the majority of their translation of the Old Testament. Wow, that's cool. So when you look at, anyway, it, <laughs> when you look at some of uh, between like the King James Version Old Testament and the uh, newer translations of the Old Testament, there's some places where there are more discrepancies and it's because they were using different manuscripts mm-hmm. to get their translation. Fascinating. However, not one central key doctrine Mm -hmm. is affected by any of those discrepancies. Right. So we just want to make sure that's clear. So we have two more questions from a first-time submitter, Tony Romo. Oh, cool. I want to back up real quick. Okay, back up. There's this really great video if, if you're interested in Bible translation and different manuscripts of the Old Testament and New Testament, there's this awesome video you can watch by, I believe his name is Dr. Dan Wallace. He's a, he's a Bible text scholar. And the name of the video is, is what we have now what they wrote then? Is what we have now what they wrote then? If you look that up on YouTube, Dan Wallace is what we have now, what they wrote then. It's about an hour-long presentation. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. If, if you want more information on how we got our Bible, where it came from, this guy is brilliant. He's very funny, and it's, it'll be a, a blessing to you. So Dan Wallace is what we have now, what they wrote then. Did you look it up? I did. Is it on YouTube? It is. Okay. Yeah, he, I'm going to watch that for like sure. A, he's wearing like a Tommy Bahama shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember. So look that up. Is what we have now what they wrote then? Cool. You'll absolutely learn a lot about how we receive our English Bible today. Sweet. All right, so Tony says, and I'm uh, Tony, thanks for listening. 
Oh yeah, thank you. First He's, time question? Yes. It says, great message this week. I was engaged to the sermon on Peter and loved the way you put it in perspective. Two questions about Peter. The first one, after he denied Jesus three times, is it right to say that after the Holy Spirit encounter, he finally came full circle and it made sense to him and that's what turned him around to commit himself fully to the gospel. You know, that's a hard question to answer. I think that we can certainly see that by that time, you know, his life has absolutely come full circle. You know, the Bible says that a, a tree is known by its fruit. And as we look at the fruit of Peter's life in Acts chapter 2, we really see right there, we see that his life has come full circle. Mm -hmm. But, you know, where did that start and where did it stop becoming full circle? Well, we don't know, but we, in Acts chapter 2, we can see clearly that the fruit of his restoration is, is now on display as he's no longer afraid to be known as a follower of Christ. And now he's absolutely unashamed of the gospel and absolutely the power of the spirit upon him pushed him propelled him and gave him the power and the boldness to witness and stand for christ no mm -hmm. doubt in my mind awesome and he says secondly can you touch on peter when jesus told him upon this rock i will build my church some faiths, and he mentions the Catholic faith, holds Peter equal to Jesus as the first leader of their religion and use this scripture to back it up. I have some family that are Catholic and we go in circles on this subject. I would like to hear what y'all have to say on what the Bible says about this. Thanks for the feedback and really enjoy listening to the Midweek Podcast. Yeah, so this this is a an important text for Roman Catholics. They they build their whole doctrine of the papacy, which is the Pope. They build it from this one text in Matthew chapter sixteen, and I, I want to read it, and we can unpack it. So Peter makes this profession when Jesus asks him, "Who do you say that I am?" Verse 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it now the word for peter and the word for rock in greek my bible footnote tells me that they sound similar so jesus here is absolutely doing a word play there's no doubt about it however what many people don't know is that earlier in verse 13 it says that they are in the region of caesarea philippi I've visited there twice as I've gone to Israel. This place was known as the gates of hell. Mm. This is this 
place where they used to do and offer child sacrifices. There's this huge cave that looks like the mouth of a demon. And they used to throw babies, live babies, into the mouth of this cave. And this cave and this region and this place was known as the gates of hell. And so there's lots of wordplay and symbolism that's happening here. So Jesus says, you are Peter, which sounds like rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Every spiritual force of darkness will not prevail against his church. So there's, there's all these dynamics of wordplay going on. The issue of, you know, this means that Peter is the first pope. I mean, I, I don't know how you get there. I just don't see how, how that lines up with anything as you follow the rest of the New Testament. I think Jesus is making a word play. I think that the, the rock is the revelation that he says. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And on this rock, on this revelation, on this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, this is what the church is built upon, that Jesus is the Christ. That is what the church is built on. That is the rock. Now, I think that because Catholics, Roman Catholics, have taken this verse and said, this means that Peter is the first pope and Peter is the rock that the church is built on, I think that we as Protestants sometimes minimize Peter's role in the birth of the church Mm -hmm. because Roman Catholics take it and they run with it so far in this other direction that we, we as Protestants let the pendulum swing a little bit too far. I think that it means a little bit of both because when you go to Acts chapter two, God uses Peter in an incredible way to build his church. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can't say that it has nothing to do with Peter. I think that, that Peter was used by God. However, Peter is in no way equal to Christ ever because Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter 1, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So, yes, the prophets, Old Testament writers, absolutely crucial in the church, part of the foundation of the church. The apostles, absolutely crucial, not just Peter, but all 12 of them, absolutely crucial in the foundation of the church. But Jesus Christ is the, the cornerstone. He, he's, the, he's the one that's carrying the load, the weight. It's built upon him, not Peter. Does that make sense? It does. That's and, great. And I mean, you know, Ephesians 1, the Christ is the head of the church. I think that's 2. Ephesians 2, Christ yeah. is the head of the church? Towards the end of, yeah. It doesn't, it's in Ephesians 
the, the point being that it never says Peter is the head of the church or the Pope is the head of the church. It's always Christ. And, and that's not just Ephesians, that's into Colossians, speaks about Jesus is the head. So this idea that the papacy, that the Pope, is, is that there's this line of succession that goes all the way back to Peter and that now he, the Pope, is the vicar of Christ on the earth and that the words that the Pope speaks carries the same apostolic authority. You just can't get there from Scripture. And I know that that's what Catholics are taught and that's what they're instructed. And so they have a, they have a hard time with that. But as far as family members that, that argue about Peter being equal with Christ, I wouldn't take them to, to that passage because they have so much dogma attached to it. I would take them to places like Ephesians chapter 1, 22, that the Father has placed all things under Jesus' feet and given him as head over all things to the church. And Colossians chapter 1 that talks about how Christ is preeminent above all things and that in him all things hold together. I would take them to places that show the supremacy of Christ and say, look, Peter was important. We're not denying that he was important. Mm -hmm. We're not denying that God used him in an amazing way. We're looking at even in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is, is the one that holds it all together. That There's nobody above him. He's above all things. So th- there's really two issues at play in that scenario. One, that Peter is equal with Christ. That's just not, you, you can't get there mm-hmm. from Scripture. The other is this idea of the, the Pope descending from Peter through succession, and you can't get there from Scripture either. And we know and believe that God's word is supreme over any human being's words. And so the, the problem with the papacy is that they put the Pope's word on the same level as God's word, and nobody should do that, whether it's the Pope or a pastor or a prophet or a teacher. There's no modern-day person that has the authority to speak his word above God's word. And as long as God's word reigns and rules over all, that's what really matters the most. Sorry, that was kind of a long rant. No, that's great. That was uh, very enlightening for me. Hopefully that helped answer your question. Tony, thanks again for submitting Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week. Sorry it was cut a little short. Uh, We will be back next week. Looking forward to it. Got a quick little plug for Sunday. Yeah, Sunday we're going to actually look at Peter's sermon that he preached and the results of it, and it's going to be awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I know it's going to be a huge blessing to everyone who's there. Invite a friend. Maybe they'll get saved. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good week.